Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Interestingly, we Christians do have something definitive in common with Muslims, after all, and of course those who follow the religion of Islam. No, it's not the belief in God. Their understanding of who God is is not even near who I think God is. We serve different gods completely. I believe the God that I serve is the true and the living God. And this is not even to mention that I also believe that God is in three persons, and moreover, that Jesus, God's Son, is himself divine and is God in flesh, Emmanuel. I recently came across a discussion that outlined the Muslim's view of creation from the perspective of evolution and Darwin's theory on the survival of the fittest. From the backdrop of history and how very prolific and deeply involved the Arab world was in times past, in the sciences of centuries ago, there is presently a dearth of scientific research, scientific progress amongst Arabs and Muslims the world over. Between the 8th and the 13th centuries, while Europe stumbled through the darkness and horrid backwardness of the Middle Ages, science actually thrived in Muslim lands. They excelled in the sciences, preserving the knowledge and writings of the past to which they added their own discoveries and advances among which I understand was the most popular and intensive medical book of the time, and it was used in all the European universities for centuries. The Muslims during this period laid down the principles of science, transformed the knowledge of light and optics, calculated the circumference of the earth to within one percent of exactness, amongst many other wonderful and excellent scientific achievements. In today's world, however, Muslims account for very little scientific breakthroughs, according to the survey I read in the Economist newspaper, an indicator of how possibly hostile Iran appears to be about science and scientific thought. One university in Islamabad has three mosques on campus and a fourth being built and absolutely no bookstores. This stark contrast is repeated over and again. Many modern Muslims are bothered by the suggestion, it seems, proposed by Darwin's theory of evolution, that we humans share a common ancestry with apes. I, too, am bothered by this nonsensical suggestion that should have been superseded long ago. A study has found that less than 20% of Muslims now believe in evolution. As you listen to me this morning, what is your position? Will you lean with the modern Western thinkers, who I think are wrong, or will you lean with Muslims and most of the believers I know and stay with, in the beginning, God created? Alive, 
The Economist article quoted the work of certain chemical engineer, how he turned from a cleric who confesses that he did not have much difficulty applying evolution to other forms of life, but he said after wrestling with evolution himself, he insists that Adam and Eve had no parents and did not evolve from some other species. To say anything else, he insists, is scripturally indefensible. Now, there's a man after my own heart. Why don't so many of those who attach themselves to Christianity come out and be so clear? Anything else is scripturally indefensible. There is a growing Islam creationist movement as well. Contrast that in the light of a statement made by another scientist who said, and I quote, nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution, end of quote. And another has said, science describe how things change. Islam, in a larger sense, explains why. I can go along with that, but the premise must originate with the God who created everything we see in the first place. Now science can try to explain how things change within the parameters that God has ordained for us and never lose sight of the ultimate conclusion of all things. One day, that same God will call time and the things of earth will change as he brings in a new heaven and a new earth. Doesn't matter then what side you're on, you will be swept along as God lays out his plan for the future eternity. Why would you, the God of greatness, simply love someone like me? And how could you, so pure and perfect, know my thoughts, yet meet my needs? I'll never know or understand just what you see in me my mind is amazed to think your plans include me for eternity it must be must be Oh 
And now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. We are on our fourth message in our ongoing exposition of the Epistle of Jude. This is an epistle he writes for the sole purpose of admonishing believers to contend or fight for the faith that was once and for all deposited or delivered to the people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. We have already looked at verses 1 through 4 and have carefully noted Jude's warning that false teachers will sneak into the local church and seek to distort the word of God in order to win disciples for themselves and to use them for financial gain. We left off last time where Jude begins to show the negative effect that false teaching has upon false teachers themselves. He is emphatically teaching that spiritual ruin, especially in the area of morality, automatically follows the corruption of biblical truth. Please let me repeat that. Jude is emphatically teaching that spiritual ruin, especially in the area of morality, automatically follows the corruption of biblical truth. He is also saying that if we are going to be able to guard ourselves from those who teach and practice such ungodly behavior, we as believers must know their characteristics, what they are like. And so Jude words, therefore, provide a standard by which we can objectively judge or evaluate professed ministers of the gospel, but who, in actual practice, deny the true faith and the lordship of Jesus Christ in these days in which we live. Jude begins this segment of his epistle by giving some examples to illustrate the principle that moral corruption automatically follows the corruption of biblical truth in verses 5 through 11 of this epistle. In so doing, he actually gives us a brief history lesson. And in fact, he uses history as our teacher. He begins with the example of the Hebrew or Jewish people in verse 5. And this is what that verse says, quote, Though you already all know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Jude is a very good teacher, my friends. He is using the method of review and application. Most of the apostles, in fact, use this method also. Peter, for instance, used it when he said, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. John used it also when he said, Remember the things from which you have fallen in the book of Revelation. I am convinced that one of the greatest tragedies of the people of God today is their forgetfulness of biblical truth, forgetting what they have been taught or known concerning the word of God. That's the reason why the word is not applied. We forget it almost as soon as we hear it. James speaks specifically about this in his epistle also. This is what he says in James 1, verses 23 to 25. I quote now the word of God. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he 
will be blessed in what he does. End of quote. James is saying that we are not blessed, not because we do not know God's word, but rather because we do not apply or obey what we do know of his word. Paul emphasizes the same truth that Jude is making here concerning applying the spiritual lessons we have learned from the history of the Jewish people. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll read from verses 1 through 12. Here again, the word of God. And remember, that's what we are here for this morning, to deliver to you the word of God. I quote now, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and so their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, friends, notice how Paul applies these historical facts. Verse 6, Now, these things occurred as example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So do not be idolatrous as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Listen to what he says now. These things happened to them as examples and are written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. End of quote. The children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt by the mighty power of God. He delivered them and brought them out of slavery so that they might be free to serve and worship him alone. They experienced his power to deliver, his power to provide, and his power to protect. But then they got into the wilderness and things became a little difficult. And suddenly they forgot everything they had learned about this great and powerful and gracious God who had redeemed them. And so they began to murmur and to complain. They questioned everything God did or did not do. They rebelled against God. And in so doing, Jude says... They demonstrated their unbelief and lack of faith in him, even though they had witnessed his power, his mighty power in the past. They neglected to act on the truth they knew about God, and as a result, they fell into immorality, and as a result of that, God visited them in judgment. My not hell, mind you, but present physical discipline right here on earth. Now, it's in this context of disobedience by the people of God that the writer of the Hebrews warns, and he says, now, and I quote, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Friends, it has to do with the consequences of sin and disobedience by believers in this life, not in the life to come, although for some, of course, that is their end as well. The scriptures say that because of their unbelieving behavior, Their bodies, actually the King James says, their carcasses fell in the wilderness. 
only those who were under the age of 20 actually entered the promised land. And so Paul, like Jude, makes the spiritual application in verse 11. Listen carefully again to the word of God. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. End of quote. Paul is saying, don't think that just because you know the word you're okay or just because you're a church member or because you were involved in some ministry in the church, don't think that you're okay just because of that. That's not so. You have got to obey the truth, especially in the area of holiness of life. You've got to live out the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What happened to the children of Israel teaches us this truth, Jude is saying. Remember this, my friends, and learn from their past history how you are to live today. And that's by obeying the word of God, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so the point Jude is making is that godless men do secretly sneak into the local church. And in fact, such activity will be common in the last days. Now, it is important for us to understand this term, the last days. Usually, we get the impression that the last days in Scripture refer to a time far distant from the time in which we are living or in times in which the writer lives or only to the times in which we are now living. However, the biblical concept of last days takes in the entire period from the ascension of Jesus Christ to his return to earth to set up his millennial kingdom. You see, Jude was not writing about something that would only happen in a time far distant from his own time. He was writing about events that were transpiring even as he was writing. And these events are also happening to us as we are reading what he wrote. In other words, these godless men have been active in the church from its very inception, and they are active today as well, only more so than ever before even than in Jude's day. That's why his message and warning is so relevant and pertinent to us, why it is so vital and urgent for us at this time. And Jude uses history, specifically that of God's dealing with Israel, to teach us that we should not neglect or corrupt biblical truth by boasting that we know the scriptures, but yet live contrary to the truth in our everyday life. Most certainly, Jude says, Are we not to accept such behavior from those who preach the word of God? To do so is to deny the faith once for all delivered to the saints. However, to resist and oppose such activity and behavior is to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, the second example Jude gives of those who corrupt the truth by living immoral lives is the fallen angels, and that's in verse 6. However, unfortunately, we'll have to look at this teaching next time. Until then, as always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every listening moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again